again, as Alex announced, we are going to be hosting the Berean Fellowship uh, Convention. It's called Connect, and that's what it's meant to do, connect us with our brothers and sisters, and the three ways you can participate. You can actually uh, join us and be part of that co- convention. The information is posted all over the place here in, in our building. Number two, you can volunteer to help out with that, and we'll be putting out some information about how you can do that. And there's one last opportunity. If you would like to house one of our Brian families, a couple or their whole family, you can uh, let us know, myself or, or Jim Kluth, and that would be a great way to serve our uh, Brian brothers and sisters. But it's, it's kind of a family reunion with maybe some folks we don't know, and, but we'll be connected with them. And so I want to encourage you to, to be a part of that. It's going to be a great moment during the summer to connect with them. Well, I just came back from a vacation a couple weeks ago. And let me ask you this question. Does life sometimes make you feel harried and hurried? Do you feel like you're just kind of going from one, one fire to another? Um, you know, the demands on your time, your energy, your attention, it's multiplying exponentially. And then we carry devices like this, right? That are designed supposedly to make our lives easier, more simple. But they actually end up complicating our lives because we're now more accessible. And people want a quicker response. They want us to, to respond to them quicker. And a, a number of people want us to, right? And then, you know, if you get through the week, you get to the weekend. And then the, the options there are just innumerable too, right? Hobbies, maybe your sports with kids, uh, you know, just all the things that are out there, activities, let alone just grocery shopping or trying to do any kind of house cleaning or yard work. And then you throw in any type of ministry and you can get to the point where you just feel like you're kind of crumbling under life's pressures, right? You feel like the stress is just too great and life is kind of running you into the ground. Anyone ever felt like that, or is that just me? You know, God has instituted something in His Word to counteract that, even to safeguard against it. It's called the Sabbath. It's called the Sabbath. It's a day set aside for rest, for reflection, for relationship. It's time set aside to get us away from the daily grind of life, from the 24-7 grind of just keeping busy and setting limits on yourself, even in areas where we might like to keep busy, in order that we might be recreated, if you will. But even though Christ and the new covenant and the gospel has brought a new understanding to that concept of Sabbath, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Our society just militates against it, doesn't it? Don't you feel like we're just constantly bombarded with stimulus activity? We're going from one thing to another. We don't know whether we're coming or going. Today, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit and how Jesus redefines that and shows us what is meant by that. So, um, you know, I grew up in a time... When on Sundays, some grocery stores are closed. Actually, most of them are closed. Even gas stations. And this is not a plea to return to yesteryear. 
It really isn't. But rather to understand God's purpose for rest, for reflection, for relationship with God and recreation. You know, the idea of one day off a week was actually God's. Did you know that? And it started out, it started out when he modeled it. In Genesis 2, uh, 2 through 3, it says, the scripture says he rested after he took six days to create this world. He didn't rest because he needed a breather. He rested because he wanted to enjoy it. He wanted to stand back and say, man, look, isn't this awesome? And it was awesome. It was good. It was beautiful. And he blessed it. And sometimes God asks us to rest, not because we need a, re- a breather, though oftentimes we do, but sometimes just to enjoy something, rather than kind of heading on to the next thing. He modeled it, and he commanded it. He commanded it to his old covenant people. This is the first rendition of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day? Keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter or your male or female servant or your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He commanded it, and it should be holy, or set aside, unto the Lord. And notice what it includes. Everybody. Children, servants, animals, the foreigner. God instituted that one day off. He did it because he understands that we are a restless people. We are a restless people. We need to learn to rest in him, to trust him. You know, one of the most spiritual things you could do this afternoon might be take a nap. You know that? And in Deuteronomy 23, 24, again, recounting the Ten Commandments, he commands us because he says to his people, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And when they were slaves in Egypt, there was no day off. There was no day off for a slave. Not in the ancient world, not in the ancient Roman world. It was exclusively commanded by God and his people. It was a sign of relationship between God and his Old Testament people. Exodus 31, 13. Say to the Israelites, you must obey, observe my Sabbaths, and it will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So many may know that, that I am the Lord who makes you. You see, for God's Old Testament people, keeping the Sabbath was a sign just as much as the men being circumcised. It was in their flesh. It was in their time. And God was very serious about this when he instituted it for his Old Testament people. In fact, in Exodus, excuse me, uh, 31.15 says, anyone who doesn't keep the Sabbath must be put to death. Whoa. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? 
And so many tests God on this. We read in Numbers where a man is found gathering sticks for a fire on the Sabbath. And he's brought before Moses and he he says to God, what do we do with this guy? He says, stone him, put him to death. Why? Again, to us that seems very harsh, doesn't it? Doing yard work on the Sabbath, right? That's what it seems like to us. It's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like the parent that says, don't do this or this will happen. And then one of your children does. And everyone else is looking and saying, what's daddy going to do? Right? He's instituting this first. A whole people. And here's the truth, though. As generations and generations passed on and on, God's people started to forget about this. They became just like the other nations. They started forgetting about the Sabbath. And that and their own idolatry, God eventually brought judgment upon them. So when they brought, he brought them back from exile, and the people realized, hey, we weren't very obedient to God's word, well, we're going to be extra careful when it comes to the Sabbath. So we're going to make more and more regulations. We're going to talk about that a little bit later here in this sermon. But they put it there saying, okay, if the line is here, then we're going we're gonna to put the line over here to make sure that we don't violate the Sabbath. That's how serious those people were. But in doing so, they created rules. They thought were keeping God's rules, but it was actually violating God's intent for the Sabbath. Jesus comes. Jesus in the flesh. Who actually wrote these words to his people. And he and the Father are one. And he's going to set God's people straight about what God's intent was for this. And also within this, reveal a greater Sabbath. A greater rest in himself. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. As we're in the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to open your Bibles up there to chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. But we want to look into, again, God's intent, what he wants us to know, and what he wants us to know about himself. But before we continue, I would like us to pray and ask God to open our eyes to his word today. So let's pray. So Lord, this concept of Sabbath is something that confuses us at times. It's foreign to us because... Our society doesn't really recognize it anymore, but would you give us eyes to see today what you intend for us, your people, and what you want to show us about the Sabbath that you are in yourself. So Lord, we commit this time to you and ask you to speak to our hearts, to open the eyes of our hearts, and help us to respond and say yes to you, to do so in faith. And Lord Jesus, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. Okay. So let's look at these couple episodes in Jesus' life ministry. Verse 1, Luke chapter 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read that what David did when he, he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of David, uh, house of God, excuse me, taking the consecrated bread, he ate 
what is lawfully only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at at them all then said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here we are in Jesus' life ministry. And he is doing things that are kind of getting under the skin of the religious experts of the time. There's a moment where he he heals a paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. They ask the question, who can forgive sins but God? Now we're coming to the matter of what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. These guys are very zealous. They're very zealous for keeping the law, if you will. Actually, they're very zealous for keeping the law the way they see it. They're there to make sure that Jesus does things just like they prefer. But Jesus seems to be pushing the boundaries, pushing the envelopes, the envelope here. And at first glance at this first episode where the excuse me, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields and they're picking up grain and rubbing it in their hands and, and eating it. They're rubbing off the husks to eat it. It seems like they're breaking the Sabbath because they're It's theft. They're taking somebody else's grain. But you know, and the the Old Testament law actually is probably more liberal than than we would be. Because if you're walking through somebody's field, you're able to just eat something. If there's a tree, you can pick a piece of fruit off and eat it. If you're going through somebody's vineyard, you can pick a grape off and eat it. Going through someone's vineyard, I mean, grain field, you can pick off uh, some you know, pieces of of grain and rub it and and eat it. It was God's provision. It was in, you can look it up in Leviticus 23, 22 or Deuteronomy 23, 23 and 24. In fact, God really was not interested in farmers harvesting every last thing in the field. In fact, he instituted that you shouldn't glean the edges of your field because that's for the widow, for the poor for the foreigner, for the orphan. It was God's way of really uh, giving some uh, you know, sustenance for those who are poor. But the issue here again was picking and rubbing some grain between your fingers. That was work. What you're doing today is work. If you think about it, if you have a bag of pistachios, when you crack open that thing, that's work. I mean, that's, that's what they were saying. This is work. But Jesus is here to show them that the intent of the law is to restore and replenish life. 
The intent of the Sabbath is to restore and replenish life. And in these two stories, Jesus uses a scriptural, a scriptural um, example, and he uses a living example. So we're going to start with the scriptural example here. This is what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, and the, the Sadducees weren't there, but the, the scribes understood. And the example is actually King David himself, the man after God's own heart. He says, haven't you read about David, talking about him in 1 Samuel 21, a man after God's own heart, how when he was on the run from Saul, King Saul who was jealous of him, who put a bounty on his head for no other reason except that he was afraid that he might overtake him, he might overtake his throne. He was a righteous outlaw, if you will. So David goes on the run. So he goes to the priest, the high priest at the time, at the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And this is the place called Nob. And the man's name was Abiathar. And he comes to him and says, I'm on, a, I'm on a mission. I can't really tell you about this. or I'd have to kill you. But, but do you have anything to eat? And Abiathar says, you know what? We don't have any regular food, but there's some bread from the bread of the presence that was baked every day, fresh. And said, if you and your men are not ceremonially unclean, you can have it. You can have it. The scripture is pointing out that the greater value in the situation was sustaining life rather than keeping this bread that was set aside for just the priests alone, even though that was the everyday practice. The exemption here was to sustain life. So Jesus points to an example in the Scriptures. And then the end, the next episode, when Jesus is in this, this synagogue, there's a man there. He's teaching with a withered hand. This is probably something he's had his whole life. It's his right hand, which probably means that, you know, in that society, the right hand was your dominant hand, which meant he probably wasn't able to sustain his own living very well. He was a man probably viewed as a complete cripple and a guy that was probably, in their mind, cursed by God. And he knows that the Pharisees are watching him. He knows they're watching to see what he's going to do. And so he asks this question. He asks this question. You have this man come up and stand in front of everybody with his withered hand. And he asks this question, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or evil, to save life or destroy it? What do you guys think? And nobody says anything. He said, what is God's intent? Cricket, cricket, cricket. They didn't answer because they didn't want to answer. They didn't want to deal with this because they figured they had it figured out and to say anything contrary to their own ideas was to totally disrupt their way of life. They were not going to change for God or anyone. And so Jesus commands, stretch out your hand. That's all he said. He didn't touch him. He didn't anoint him. And stretches out his hand, and suddenly that withered hand is fully restored. Fully restored. 
Jesus did nothing except say, stretch out your hand. And everybody is up in arms because Jesus has broken the Sabbath. He has done work on the Sabbath. You know what's funny? No one notices that this is a miracle. I don't care what the Mayo Clinic can do. They can't do that. They can't do that. Only Jesus can. And second of all, by the way, the action of working on the Sabbath is not an absolute value. And Jesus points this out in his, the same account in Matthew chapter 12, verse 5. He says, hey, you know what? Even the priests are working on the Sabbath. You know what that means? They are taking animals, they're slaughtering them, pulling out their entrails, skinning them, and putting their blood on the altar. That seems like a lot more work than saying, stretch out your hand. Don't you think? But they can't see it. These guys can't see it. And Jesus is trying to point out that doing good, that saving life is permissible on the Sabbath. And Jesus is doing this because He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, to us, it's not so obvious about what this means when Jesus says He's Lord of the Sabbath. But again, think about the, the passage I already read earlier. and I'm going to read it again in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your, all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You kept the Sabbath as an act of worship, of reverence, of setting it aside to the Lord your God. God is the starting point of how I keep the Sabbath, if you will. And to claim to be Lord of the Sabbath is, in essence, to claim to have the authority of God Himself, to be God Himself. It's similar to what happened earlier in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Again, we talked about the role of the the role of the Son of Man in Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, if you want to look at that, that is this divine person who has God's authority. And when Christians talk about how Jesus is God put on flesh, it is not their own idea. It's not something that they made up. Rather, it's being consistent with what Jesus has revealed about himself, what he says about himself, what he claims to be. And he is claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, that's a big deal. That's a big deal for him to say that. And so Jesus is either a liar, he's morally corrupt, he's a lunatic, he's deluded, by what he thinks about himself, or he is actually the Lord himself. And many of you know this, it's not an original thought 
from me. It's C.S. Lewis. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord with the power to back it up himself. And I would think that the restoration of that hand at that moment was a good indication that maybe he actually does have the authority to do this. And ultimately he is vindicated as he has risen from the dead as we just celebrated two weeks ago in Easter. So the question looms, who has the authority to interpret the scriptures of what keeping or breaking the Sabbath means? And the the Pharisees and the scribes thought it was them. They were the gatekeepers as far as they were concerned. And it was very rigorous. And depending on what school of rabbis you hung out with, the, the, the variations differed, right? But let's just throw out a few, okay? See how we do. So on the Sabbath, you could only walk 1,999 steps. Or that translates to... 875 yards. That was a Sabbath journey. You couldn't go any farther than that. For women, you couldn't look in the mirror because you might be tempted to pull out a gray hair. That would be work. You could only stitch or sew one stitch. So rule out needlepoint altogether. Tying or untying was forbidden for some. So you wouldn't be tying your shoes today. Moving an object from a private to a public place was forbidden. So that rules out potlucks altogether. And moving an object in your own house more than four cubits was forbidden. So I'm totally for that. There's no more, you know, no more arranging furniture there. But you know what? That is still practiced today. It's still practiced today in Israel. If you go to a, to a, um, a hotel, the elevators run themselves. They just go up and down the, on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. They go up and down. You don't, because no one should be tempted to push a button, because that might be work. Even, I even had friends in seminary who would go down to a, a local synagogue, and they were hired to turn on the lights so that the Jewish people didn't have to do it themselves. Although, that kind of violates the thought of your servant shouldn't do this either, but that's another discussion. That's not the point. My point is that these people were very serious of that, but again, they were missing the intent. They're missing God's intent, and Jesus is here to restore that. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He wrote it, and help us to understand that the purpose and the intent of the, of the Sabbath is to restore life. Indeed, Jesus says in the same account in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was not made for man. Excuse me. This, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's for his good, and it's an opportunity to honor the Lord in that. So folks, let me say this. We're kind of heading into the last point. My purpose today is to not to develop a full theology of Sabbath today. That's, that's not my purpose. But to highlight a few things that Jesus wants us to know about the Sabbath and himself today. And in the big picture of salvation history, Jesus, in Jesus a greater Sabbath rest is revealed. 
You see, the reason we have a hard time with the concept of Sabbath is because we feel like we're going to miss something. Or something is going to pass us by or something won't happen unless we get on it. Can we trust God if we will rest and take time? The same can be true spiritually. Now listen to me. The same can be true spiritually. We desire, many of us in this room desire to honor God, to live a life that is pleasing to Him. And we're grateful to Christ for His sacrifice. But somehow, something within us thinks, but there's something I can do. Something I can add. Something that I can contribute. My effort, my good deeds. I'm going to somehow keep God's law and His commandments. And it sounds good, doesn't it? But ultimately, we're going against the gospel itself. We find ourselves like the Pharisees. You see, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Did we not sing that earlier? Our faith is in Christ alone. In His life of obedience. In His atoning sacrifice on the cross. and His victory over the grave. And the righteousness that He imputes to those of us who put our faith in Him. That He gives us. Not that we earn. Not that we deserve. The Sabbath, Jesus is the Sabbath rest of our salvation as we trust in what He has accomplished. And again, it's totally contrary to what we feel or think. But our faith has to be completely in Him rather than what we have to contribute. Paul explains it this way very, very clearly in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. What shall we say, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. What Paul's trying to point out is that our righteousness is not in our own works. It's found in what Christ has done for us. That is that Sabbath rest. And Paul will later go on to talk about how the Sabbath really foreshadows, foreshadows this rest that can only be found in Jesus, in the gospel. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The reality 
of the true Sabbath is found in Jesus as we rest in Him. When I was growing up in the church, we would sing this hymn. Maybe some of you have sung it yourself. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. What is He? He's our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is our true identity for all who put their faith in Him. We're looking for a sense of rest. Having peace with God, it is found in Christ. Not in our own striving. Not in our own trying to please God. Jesus has pleased the Father for us. Now we put our faith in Him. And yes, yes, in that moment, we do become God's workmanship. He starts to do His work on these precious stones. Because in truth, we're, we're rockheads, right? And yes, we are to work out our faith with fear and trembling. But it is the one who is, it is He who is at work within us. Again, it's He who's doing the work. And again, people, my, my intent today is not to give a full theology of Sabbath today. That's not my intent. But I do want to cause you to think about a few things. If you feel like life is driving you into the ground, and you're harried and hurried, and you're just going from one thing to another, I'd ask you to consider, seriously, what time have I set aside to the Lord as a Sabbath, if you will, to rest and to trust Him? Yes, there will always be dishes to be done. There will always be yard work to be done. There will always be things at work you need to take care of. Where can you stop and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to rest. And actually enjoy you. And that might... That might mean taking a walk or doing some athletic activity, or that might mean stopping and just using that time to enjoy God and contemplate or take a nap. Like I said, that might be the most spiritual thing you could do today. But also let me say this. I want to ask you the question, because I don't know where everyone's heart is at today, is your heart resting ultimately and trusting in Him who is our ultimate Sabbath rest? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Or are you continually restless, trying to please God with what you do? Here's the problem. You'll never know if it's enough. You'll never know. Was that enough? I don't know. And you can't. Because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You may do this right, but the next thing you, you may drop the ball. That's me. That's your pastor. I do good, 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 boom. But I'm not trusting in what Nathan can do. 
I'm trusting what Jesus has done. And I want you to find that rest. All of a sudden your anchor becomes Jesus. Not yourself. What a great place to rest. What a great place to have confidence. We sang earlier, your grace is enough. Folks, it is. It is. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Put your faith in Jesus, what he has done, what he has accomplished, and he will give you the Sabbath rest your soul desires and needs. Let me pray, and then Aaron and the worship team, will you come please close us? So Lord, we have opened up this this can of worms of the Sabbath. And I pray for those of us who find themselves harried and hurried, that you give them grace to trust you, to set aside some time, to rest, to be in your presence, to even seek your face, that they might find themselves restored and rejuvenated in you. And I pray for the one who has been restless because they're wondering if what they've done for you or in trying to obey you is enough. Lord, help them to realize that your gift is Jesus. Your gift is Jesus. And He is our Sabbath rest. So Lord, I pray that you open the eyes of that, that man, that woman's heart. Give them the grace to trust in what you've done, Lord Jesus, in living a perfect life, in dying a debt, and dying a death to pay our debt that we couldn't pay back, and then conquering a foe we can't conquer, and rising from the dead. And you give us life we don't have in ourselves. So help that man, that woman, to cry out to Jesus, to cry out to you, Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, save me. I put my faith in you and what you've done. And come, Lord, if you said that every man, every woman who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, come and do that salvation work today. Help us to put our hope ultimately in you, Lord Jesus. You are our rest. You are our salvation. You are our Sabbath. And it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen.